to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com thanks for tuning in sluts and scholars is a sex positive shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter while we love to give advice and resources please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I am welcoming Jordan Wolin. They are a certified hypnotherapist and Reiki master. Uh, Jordan helps clients break through unconscious blocks to remove unwanted thoughts and behaviors and create positive changes. She draws from multiple modalities of hypnosis, NLP, which stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming, and mindfulness practices to support her clients. Uh, in healing from trauma, overcoming anxiety, and eliminating fear and shame. Her passion is in seeing people achieve their personal and professional goals and to help change limiting beliefs into empowering ones. Jordan has experience working with a variety of populations and diverse lifestyles, with special attention given to underrepresented communities, including LGBTQ+, sex workers, and kink communities. In 2020, she joined Pineapple Support, which I am also a part of, which is an awesome organization that provides therapeutic services to performers in the adult industry free of discrimination, judgment, or stigma. She is currently training to be a certified cannabis-assisted psychedelic therapist through the Center for Medicinal Mindfulness. Welcome, Jordan. Thank you so much, Nicoletta. I'm so happy to be here. Yes, so glad to see you. Um, Okay, so why why hypnosis? Like, how does it work? Oh, why hypnosis? Um, Well, I fell into hypnosis a little bit by random. Um, I was introduced through Reiki, actually. And then I found out my Reiki master at the time was a hypnotist. And I started to explore hypnosis as another form of healing. So I had a lot of experience with talk therapy. So I just, when I discovered hypnosis, it was the coolest thing ever. So I just, I just loved it and threw myself into that. And how do you think it maybe takes talk therapy to the next level or like expands on things? Because I definitely think talk therapy can be limiting. Yeah, it's a little bit different because we we have the same format of we talk for a little bit about what's going on, but we we use hypnosis in every session. So at the end of the session, it's usually 20 or 25 minutes, we're going to be doing hypnosis. So then it becomes more like a combination of therapy with coaching. And we really focus on the, uh, we're not so much concerned with why you do your problem, you know, the why, how you got this way. We kind of go into that a little bit, but it's more about how you can change the behaviors. So it's more solution-focused. Solutions-focused, yeah. So we find that there's most of my clients come to see me for a few sessions, or it might be just one. It's just It just depends on the person. To see me with a lot of different things and have a list, that's also a great thing. So I actually did a session with Jordan. It was my first time being hypnotized. And I originally did it, well, because I wanted to, but I've had clients ask me for, you know, hypnotherapist referrals. And I like to know the people, you know, and get the experience of the folks that I'm going to refer my clients to, because obviously I want to, you know, trust in that. So I was like, I called up Jordan and I was like, hey, let's do a session. (laughs) And um, so 
because we were just doing one session, Jordan was like, you should, let's pick something that's kind of not traumatizing, you know, something a little more mundane, something we could work on in one session. And I was trying to think like, what could that be? And so I was like, you know, I really go to Taco Bell <laughs> more often than I would like. <laughs> I'm like, I have a Taco Bell problem. I am totally addicted to the fire sauce. And sometimes I'll just find myself driving there and I'm like, how did I get, how did I even get here? Or I'm like in the drive-thru and I'm like, is this where I wanted to go? Like, I'll just naturally turn in there. And so we did a session on it and it fucking worked. It was wild. And I remember before we did that, we, you kind of talk to me through a couple of things. What's, what's sort of like the, I don't know, the usual step process of like how to do this work. How to do this work. Like, so when you came in, you said, I, I have a very um, specific um, addiction. Go <laughs> bell and I find myself showing up there. I don't even know how I got here, but there I am at the window and I'm like extra fire sauce. So I decided, okay, for you, you know, one shot, you don't have time to waste, so I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do some NLP. This is urgent, this is urgent. <laughs> this is totally urgent, so I'm gonna use some NLP, and, and you got NLP'd that day. Oh, okay, so what is, I mean, I know what it stands for, but when I hear NLP, I think of the pickup artist community. And for people who don't know what that is, it's basically, there was a, a book a long time ago called The Game, and it was basically like how to make women feel shitty so that you can pick them up, if I were to sum it up, or at least the stereotype of it. And so when I think of NLP, I think of people using psychological manipulation to get what they want. So why is that maybe not always true and how can it be a, a positive thing? <laughs> That's such a great question. Yeah, I, I feel like I work in this business where there's so much stigma and like myths about what I do. So with hypnosis, there's like people are afraid of it. So people usually recoil in fear when they find out what I do. Or as in NLP, you know, people are like, oh my God, it's manipulation. So there's kind of some myths out here. But the way that I see it is like, you could give someone, um, so it's about intention. It's about intention. So if you give someone like a phone, they can do things with that phone to create light and love and be empowering, or they can use that to inflict harm and bully people. So it's the same device that could be used with a different intention. Mm. So these are very powerful tools and, hip and NLP came out of hypnosis. It, it combines, it's a lot of similarities, but it's actually, um, it's, it's a set of techniques that we can use to, to create really rapid change really fast. So a lot of these people using it in a bad way or just, you know, they have bad intentions or different, you know, so, but when it's used in an empowering way, then we can really rapidly change things um, to what we actually want to have happen. Like the technique I used on you was um, a very simple technique of like to dislike. So we kind of swapped the way that you store that picture of tacos. You know, we, we kind of did some programming because NLP actually stands for, it's very simple, neuro, which is the, the five senses. So see, hear, feel, taste, smell, using those five senses. And then linguistic is how we use language. So mm -hmm. using all of those ways to communicate and how we refer to you know our programming, which is the third part. The programming and literally we are like computers walking around with different programming from the past and we can swap out these senses we can use them in a, in a different way with, with strategies things like that to to change your perception of taco bell <laughs> 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 
that, that can last as long as you want it to last. Um, I've used it on myself. I haven't had kettle corn in over like five years. Um, <laughs> kettle corn? Did you have a kettle corn problem? <laughs> that was my tester that when I was training, which was like like amazing trainings in NLP, it was really fun. Um, I used kettle corn. I wanted to get rid of that addiction. So now I, I, I had a rough time when I went back to movie theaters. It was It was tough, but... Yeah, and if you've listened to the podcast before, you all probably know I'm not a big fan of like the addiction thing. So we are using that word kind of like loosely today and, you know, in more of a light, a lighthearted way. And I'm not saying, I mean, maybe there are people who really feel like they have a Taco Bell addiction, but I, I'm kind of using that word <laughs> loosely. Um, and yeah, so NLP then, I remember you had me group it with you were like, basically had me come up with something that I would never eat. Something that was like really disgusting to me, which I had a hard time with because I love food and I eat everything. And so the only thing I could come up with was dog meat. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I remember it was, I was thinking of like my own personal dog and like would I eat this dog meat and it fucking worked. And what you said was you can, you can switch back anytime. Um, and so I remember I had some friends who wanted to go to Taco Bell one day, probably like six months later. And I was like, no, you know, I'm not like, I kind of had that response. Like, no, I'm not interested. Kind of felt a little nauseous about it, but I'm like, well, let's see, you know, Jordan said I could, you know, reinitiate with this anytime. Uh -huh. So we went and I ordered it and I ate it and it was fine. And then after that, I was probably not the same as before, but now I like, have a a different relationship with it but one more in the middle right right and i've i've used this technique on people and they have not even changed so a lot of this is about the willingness to do this work mm. so i can't even make you do something you don't want to do if you don't want to do it so someone has to be like ready and willing to make a shift it, absolutely. They, there has to be some consent. There has to be the, the willingness to do it. Like if someone wanted to quit smoking, um, I'm going to see them for a session. I'm going to ask them a lot of questions and watch, you know, their responses using, you know, my sensory acuity and just telling, you know, are, do they really want to stop smoking? Are they doing this for someone else? You know, mm. it might not work if, if it's for, if it's not for themselves. Yeah. Well, like you said, if the tools get into like the quote unquote wrong hands or the hands of someone who has maybe nefarious intentions. Um, how can we tell, like, how do we find a good practitioner that we can trust? Like, are there some things to look out for or red flags to be aware of? Yeah. I mean, hypnosis, the way that I see it, it's everywhere. It's everything. We're always in a state of trance. So whether it's your partner's trance that you're in or this new partner you're seeing, um, or it's just you're on your phone for two hours and you lose track of time. We're constantly in differing state, states of trance. Mm -hmm. So I, I see it, yeah. And do you define trance as like dissociation, like we're not present? I define it as just a heightened focus on one thing to the okay. exclusion of other things could be happening around you. Mm -hmm. um, but you're so focused on something that you kind of don't pick up on things around you. So mm -hmm. being in the zone. Yeah, which can sometimes be like really beautiful and wonderful and other times maybe maybe dissociative because you're like, well, I need to be doing this, but I've been playing Animal Crossing for 10 hours. Right, exactly. Like, you know that you should be, you know, sending out some emails or, you know, doing these things, but all the easy stuff gets in the way or the, the phone is just designed to distract you. Mm -hmm. So social media is all designed to like take you down these rabbit holes and distract you to sell things. So it's all, a lot of things are hypnosis. 
so used in that way, um, I see it kind of as self-defense, you know? <laughs> I've been um, in martial arts for like 15 years of my life and I just saw this as like, oh my God, when you wake up to the fact mm -hmm. that we're in trance all the time, then you can start to notice it and recognize it in other people and in yourself, you can wake yourself up. So when you come to see um, you know, someone like me, then that, that means you've awakened, you have some awareness of what's going on and you wanna make some changes and then you can use it in a powerful way as a tool. So it's just a, a powerful tool. Mm. So how do we wake ourselves up if it's someone who doesn't have good intentions? Like, is that a thing to, you can do? Yeah, so if there's always tr just trusting in your gut, you might have this feeling like, okay, something is uncomfortable here. So that's just a sign. Your body's telling you, okay, I hear something's upsetting, it's uncomfortable, and I want to send you a signal to that you can make a choice here. Or you could go along with it. It, it really just takes practice. But one thing that you can do, um, I learned how to do this, is just um, if you notice it, just start to count yourself up, literally. One, two, three, four, five, wide awake. You can train yourself to just say that and bring yourself out of that trance if you notice it happening. Okay. So, one, two, three, four, five, wide awake. One, two, three, four, five, wide awake. <laughs> Am I in a trance right now? I don't know. <laughs> I'm focused. <laughs> yeah. Well, so why do you think people get so scared when they hear then what you do or of that? Is it because they're afraid of being controlled or other things? Oh my God, it's, it's the media. So when was the last time you saw a movie about an evil hypnotist? Like Get Out comes to mind. Mm. Wonderful movie, I saw it with my colleagues and we were laughing and you know, we found it fascinating, great movie. Um, but also, you know, you people learn about hypnosis from these movies and also maybe they saw a stage show at a fair or like a convention or something. Yeah, where it's all like making people doing embarrassing stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so like they say, are you gonna make me like cluck like a chicken? That's common. So actually, I just can only make you bark like a dog. Really? And I've done it, yeah. No, 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 no. I actually, I did do a, I did a meditation journey for a pet play group and actually they were wanting to bark like dogs. You know, they, you know pet play is a form of kink. So it was interesting to actually do that. So now I have that, that joke that I can make. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, for people who don't know what pet play is, say a little more about that. Oh, that that's um, for people that have a kink um, or an affinity to to connecting with their animal self, kind of in, as a form of play, like role play, um, exploration um, for desire, and it's just a different way to express it safely and consensually with kind of a lot of imagination and and really really sweet, fun, playful play. Yeah, and I like what you said, connecting with that like animal part of self. So that can be anything from dressing up to enacting to, um, and it doesn't always have to be sexual. And for some people, it is, but it's yeah, it's more connecting to a part of your a different part of yourself. Yeah, just like allowing ourselves to play. Like as adults, we we sometimes forget that you know, like sex can be fun. It can be like you know, it's it's just whatever we decide. It could be that as long as we're consenting. So it's just, it's just bringing back play into our lives. So speaking of kink and play, um, I know that one of the things that you do and host is, um, I guess what would be called like erotic, med what would you call it, erotic hypnosis? 
So um, two things. I, I have taught erotic hypnosis, um, and it's super fun to teach. I, I usually do that in person. I don't do that online. Um, super fun to teach because we can explore a lot of different ways to express desire in there, and, and hypnosis being so powerful can be used to... Um, it's, it's kind of a cross between like entertainment in that context of teaching erotic hypnosis. It's very common to do very out there kind of things and to see it happening. It's very exciting, fun. So I have taught that. Things that you can see in erotic hypnosis and have like try are you can experience people having like orgasms without touch, things like that, like using commands um, or like just um, having like different sensations heightened or different like states of submission heightened, dominance heightened, all of these things. Feeling like you're bound but there's no ropes involved. And is that something that could be done in one scene or one session, or is that like you need a relationship to kind of establish that? Because the way I understand it is that it's sort of like behaviorism. Um, I don't know if anyone listening remembers Pavlov's dog, but it was this thing in science and conditioning where basically you they would ring a bell and the dog would get a treat. And so they found that even if there wasn't a treat, that if they did it long enough, when they rung the bell, the dog would salivate in the expectation of the food. And so is that the same thing for orgasming on command? Or is there another component to it? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. One of these things is overload. So overloading the person with too, like a lot of attention on them, they go into fight or flight. So you're stimulating like the body to go into fight or flight mode. And once it's in that mode, you can give them commands and then they, they're more easily, easily accepted, mm. easily received. So someone in that state maybe wants to please the hypnotist or they want to you know, they're being watched by all these people, so there's a tendency to, for them to take on suggestions more, more readily. And there's always consent, too. They always say, oh, I want to be in this show. You know, pick me, pick me. So already it's like you're overloading with, with all these things and then building in commands. So, like, whenever I touch my chin like this, you're going to feel more and more aroused. And then I do that maybe five times, and, you know, bit by bit it just builds. So, you know, till you have that final, like, climax in the performance and... Everyone goes crazy and, you know, they're like, is this real? So it's, there's a lot, there's so much cool things that you can do with that. Okay, so you can orgasm, you can feel like you're tied up without any ties. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Anything else with the, the erotic hypnosis that is interesting? Um, yeah, it was just amazing. It's always amazing to, to see. You're kind of watching to see how the person's going to respond when they look down and they're like, I can't get up. And I'm like, <laughs> why can't you get up? And they're like, um, I can't. And I'm like, do you see any rope? They're like, no, but I can't get up. It's just really interesting to see the confusion and the, like, like this is so cool, but, like, you know, it's, it's such a great, great thing. And do you have to be there? Do you have to be in the room? Like, could we do it over Zoom if we wanted to? So it takes... Um, you know, I would work with couples and teach them to do this for each other. There's a certain amount of trust that has to be there. You have to trust this person and, and they have to have the, the skill to know how to do it safely and what could happen if it, something goes wrong. So it has to be a very safe container. So that that's what I would say is like trust in the person you're practicing with. Because um, there's a lot of people doing this in the community and it just you just have to have a safe container where the person feels like you got them. Mm -hmm. and they trust you and you're, you're confident enough in the skills to do it right.
Yeah, I do wonder about consent with that because it's kind of like, okay, you're being suggestible, more suggestible. You're more vulnerable. Um, how do we, how do we make sure that it's consensual when there is maybe that power dynamic? Yeah, there's, that's such a great question. I def definitely wanted to talk about that. Um, we call it in this context, informed affirmative consent, which means that you have to be aware of the risks involved. So this is a discussion that's talked about in a negotiation beforehand. So way before you start playing like this or doing this, there has to be a negotiation. And then, so once you're aware of what's involved, then you have to state your desire to participate. So that's what informed affirmative consent is. So you have to be willingly saying, yes, I consent, let's do this. Mm. The head shake, yes. So um, other things that you can do to make sure that it's safe is to ask first. So is it okay if I touch your wrist? You never just go and touch ever. You have to, even if you have consent, is it okay if I touch your wrist now? And the person has to say yes. So best to do this all in the negotiation because um, sometimes people are, are, could be in an arousal state or very um, submissive to the hypnotist. So it might be harder to say no later on because they might be in that state already. Have you met your G-spot? That mysterious little area that is said to hold the secret to toe-curling orgasms and even squirting. Some say it's part of the clitoral structure or just a collection of nerve endings that some folks find pleasurable. I'm a fan of getting to know your whole body. Our sponsor this week is the Oh My G, an internal sex toy that will introduce you to this special part of you. Right now, Oh My G is offering listeners 30% off when you go to iobatoys.com and enter code S&S at checkout. The Oh My G is a G-spot massager for bodies with a vagina. It can also be a fun external stimulator, so you decide where you want it. The Oh My G is made with 100% body-safe, FDA-approved silicone. I know that sometimes my or my partner's hand, wrist, or arm gets tired from doing that come hither motion over and over. And that's where tools come in like Oh My G. And now Oh My G is offering you listeners 30% off when you go to iobatoys.com and enter code S&S at checkout. That's iobatoys.com and use promo code S. A-N-D-S, to get 30% off your Oh My G. That offer is also in our episode description, iobatoys.com, promo code S&S. Now to the episode. Yeah, I was going to say, how do you say no when you're in that state if your body is so suggestible? Yeah, it just comes with, um, I think with just knowing yourself, sometimes we have like early experiences that can go wrong, but just, just knowing that, okay, if something feels uncomfortable, um, to find a safe way to get out of that situation, because you can always withdraw consent. You can say, uh, I'm sorry, I don't feel comfortable with that. And that person, hopefully they'll respect that. So it's better, best to get a referral, you know, someone who's from you, someone you trust. But it, I take this very seriously. So you're not going to want to do this with someone you just met because you're... Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't take this and just do it. <laughs> Get some training. Hey, let's try this. You know, and then, you know, I, I, fix, I, I fix a lot of people that have had bad experiences happen, unfortunately. Mm. You know, thank God they, they found some help. But, but yeah, this could happen regardless of hypnosis or whatever. There's tons of people in abused, you know, abusive relationships out there. There's tons of people being hypnotized by, you know people in the media and like all these 
belief systems out there. So it's it's everywhere. So it's just it just comes down to like boundary setting, all of these things, mental health. And it sounds like a safe hypnotist or at least safe play partner that you would want to engage on in this might include the consent stuff in their hypnosis. And I'm saying that because I remember when we did this together, I, I recall you saying during like, you are still in, you said some things like along the themes of like, you are still in charge. You can say no at any time. This is not to be used to minute. Like you were kind of saying these consent pieces in it. And so it sounds like a safe person would ensure that their partner is also being suggestible to saying no and to making limits, not feeling like you could never talk back. Yeah. So even before I see any client, they have to fill fill out a consent form. Mm-hmm. It's done in their sober state or their aware state. They're filling it out. They see, okay, this this is what it's like. This these things could happen. I consent to this. Here's my signature, and then we can do the hypnosis. So this kind of framework is just really great for any you know for the kink scene also, but um, it just in general to create that container where you know that at any time um, you have that consent. This isn't mind control, this is just me talking to you. This is so if you're in hypnosis in my office, you're gonna have your eyes closed, you might be in a recliner, um, or right now through Zoom watching me. So you'll have your eyes closed, but you could open your eyes at any time, you could talk, you could move, you're free to do all of these things. And what's, where did that old, like, you are getting very sleepy, like, thing come from? Like, you know, is that like a thing? Like you're holding a... a, Very sleepy. Yeah, you're holding like a clock and you're, you know, waving it back and forth and I'm getting sleepy. Like, what what is that? So I can do with a pen. I'll do it right now. So like if I say, look at the tip of this pen and move it back and forth, like I'm, but just that act alone of watching something and it repetitive motion will put you in a trance. So that's why people use those hypno discs or those spinny things, Mm. the cartoons or the watch. Um, It's just having, it's just, if you focus on this thing, then that's where your focus is. Yeah. I've got you in my trance. Mm. It's, um, it's also used in other therapy techniques and it's called bilateral stimulation. Mm -hmm. So it's used in something called EMDR, eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing, which is often used for trauma. Some people will do it with like tapping one side of their body and the other side in a rhythmic motion or moving their eyes. Um, so this can often be used not just to be in or maybe it's the same thing, but basically to help calm your nervous system. So it sounds like it's the same mechanism. Yeah, it's very similar. I've not trained in EMDR, but I know I've used it. It's so powerful. I recommend it. It's it's very much that. Likewise. Yeah. Um, so what are some success stories or like interesting things you've seen that people come to hypnosis or NLP for and like how has it made a difference in their healing? Yeah, so some success stories. I've had, I had a client come in to see me that had not eaten vegetables in over 40 years. Whoa. And and I think they were just eating carbs and proteins, but no vegetable, nothing. They would have like a gag reflex happen based on something that had happened when they were eight at the, the dinner table one time. So never ate a vegetable since then. So they came to see me um, and they were here in town for a week. So they came in one time and um, we worked on that. And by the next session, you know, the next time I heard from them, they sent me a text of them eating vegetables. So Whoa. it worked. And I, I was like, wow, I believe in this more and more, the more that I see 
and um, it works really well with phobias as well. So I've worked with people that have like very bad fears of, of needles, um, so which prohibits them from going to get blood tests and things that they need to do. Um, that's really effective. I've had people... Wait, so how did the vegetable one work? The vegetable one? Yeah. Um, let's see, so we kind of released the trauma that was around that time when they had that bad experience when they got sick and gave them positive suggestions to start, you know, you know, if it, if they're if it was right for them and appropriate to eat vegetables, that they, it would be easier for them to eat it. Um, I forget the exact techniques that we used. That wasn't I wasn't using NLP back then, but that was just straight hypnosis of positive suggestions of when you're comfortable. Now that you know where this trauma came from, mm -hmm. you can reprogram this. Mm -hmm. You can change the programming. Have you ever had any like long suppressed traumas be discovered during their hypnosis? Like they remembered why and where that came from? Usually people have a sense of where like something that happened. I never go looking for anything. So if they So it's not it's not necessary to know where it came from to work through it. No, absolutely not. Um, I can work with timeline therapy techniques so kind of using an imaginary timeline you know imagining a timeline going back and then being able to witness from above some things happening without emotions being connected and to go to a time before that incident happened and then pull uh, pull out some positive qualities about yourself and empowering statements and then take that into the future yeah. and which kind of scrubs away like accumulated trauma so that, that's one technique I would use, but this is after a few sessions to kind of get to build up their um, like support network, build up their self-confidence and safe place, resources, kind of build that in first before we go looking at trauma. Got it. Okay, so someone ate vegetables who hadn't eaten vegetables in 40 years due to a trauma. What else? Yeah, things like that. I have had people come in um, with smoking. Smoking is like... Well, that's the big one. That's the big one. Big one. Um, yeah, they'll come in and they'll want to stop smoking like completely. So usually that session would be um, like a two-hour session, maybe a, a pre-session and then a, a follow-up integration of that because it's so effective. Some people are like, oh my god, it worked. Now I'll just have one cigarette to celebrate. You know, it's, it's like trying to, you know, you have to kind of be prepared that it's going to work really well and then support them through that. Mm -hmm. Smoking is, has been really successful, quitting smoking. Um, removing fears and phobias and re like desensitizing to um, things that make you anxious. That's a very common mm. So ang anxiety about a boss that you have or a family member. I can help people desensitize to those, you know, things that bother them in those relationships. But it sounds like it can go pretty deep. It's not just a behavior. It's like a you can even work on trauma patterns. Right, right. We can do techniques where you'll actually, when sometimes, like working with parts, like part therapy, we can have like part of you wants one thing, part of you wants another, and they're con conflicting. Mm. I have a technique where you integrate those two parts together into a whole person that you used to be, and that feeling, you can actually feel that go up the spine sometimes. And oh. like they'll, they'll be like, wow, this, you know, what just happened? I don't know what happened. And it's, it's permanent, you know, it, it stays. Yeah, say more about that parts work. That sounds I'm like I'm like I need some of that. <laughs> That's something I do with clients too, but it's interesting to hear it from this perspective. 
Yeah, so it, it's just, um, you know, in theory that we're, we're just born as this whole being. We know exactly, like, everything's just working and that we have these things that come into our lives and experiences that we have that kind of fragment us off. So if there's, like, a trauma or something happens, we suppress it or we just check out, we leave it somewhere in a compartment. So then as adults, we have these conflicting behaviors, like, I want to lose weight, but part of me wants to keep the weight, or, like, I want this, but... Um, I, you know, but part of me is afraid of that. I want to write a book, but I'm afraid of, of the fame, you know, things mm. like that. Mm -hmm. So we, we talk to each part. Usually it's like two very different things that want the same thing. And I just help them remember that they want the same thing. Yeah. Pretty soon you have, um, I can see their parts coming together. We use hands, right hand, left hand, and they'll soon come together and then come to the heart and integrate. Yeah. So I and do you think parts do you think parts need to come together to integrate because I I think something I talk about with clients that an old supervisor of mine used to say is he used to call it multiple personality order instead of multiple personality disorder so it was more like thinking of the parts the different parts of ourselves as like a choir or a dinner party and sometimes there's that loud person sometimes there's a quiet shy person and it's more about like how do we find a better balance a better synergy between all those parts. So not that we have to like eliminate them and bring them all back to one, but just having better commune, I think, between all the parts. What do you think? Or do you think we all have to come back together as one whole being? I think that it's usually the client will bring it up. Like it'll be very obvious. Oh my God, part of you wants this, part of you wants the other. And this happens part of the time. It's not all the time, but if it, I check for certain things, like if it's happening, like if it's happening part of the time, then I can work with that. So usually it's to achieve a certain goal that they really want. So then we work on it. But otherwise, you know, I just believe that there's no judgment happening here. As long as you're happy, you're not hurting anyone, then, you know, I'm here to help you feel whole and as complete as you are and to be to feel comfortable and confident as being authentically who you are. I mean, in some ways, it sounds like a magic cure-all potential. And I'm guessing there like, are people who it maybe doesn't work for, who aren't as suggestible, right? Who it doesn't resonate with. What do you do when there's that resistance or it, it doesn't work? Yeah, I find that people, you know, for them to pick up the phone and call me is a big step. So already they've probably been looking at my website for months, maybe years. And then when they finally it clicks that they're ready to take that step then they're fully committed and then they they're fine and they we, it, it works but i feel like if people are using like maybe substances to kind of get through life like um impaired by alcohol or drugs it's not going to work on those people or if they they have like a biological condition uh, where they can't be hypnotized or too focused on all these different things is there any examples of what kind of biological condition might get in the way? Um, like if they have like maybe ADD and they're kind of they're a little bit too distracted, they, they're not ready to focus, even mm. though it can help ADD if they really want to work on that, it can also be used to help that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people just don't have that enough focus to really commit to themselves to do the work. So it's a fine line, but, but pretty soon, you know, they'll know after one or two sessions, but I feel like it always helps regardless because it always, um, you know, people relax so deeply in session that it just helps your, your stress levels, your sleep. So it's always going to benefit you regardless. That's a really tough one with ADHD and, and lots of other things, which is like, 
the thing that could help you, you kind of need that resource to get to the thing that will help you. <laughs> so it's like you need the meds to make an appointment to get meds <laughs> or like you need the therapy to feel less depressed, but you needed that so that you could reach out to do therapy because you're too depressed to do it. <laughs> so sometimes it's like this shitty loop of like, almost like when you're applying to a job and you're like, well, you need experience. You're like, well, how else do I get experience besides getting experience? <laughs> yeah, that's such a, that's such a great statement. Yeah. You have to have a certain amount of this. It has to exist in you already for you to get that help for the, mm. you, you to become aware of it. Yeah. Or help you find it within yourself. Exactly. And unfortunately, we can't help our the people that are closest to us. So it might help, you know, someone else might help, you know, just meeting someone else that would kind of spark that in you. And one of the other things that can be helpful, it sounds like, too, that you're working on is this like cannabis, mindful cannabis use. Tell me about that. And it's interesting because I... I never thought of it in the realm of like psychedelic therapy because when I think of psychedelics, I think of like psilocybin mushrooms. So like, tell me about the cannabis uh, therapy. Yeah, so I've started training to be a cannabis-assisted psychedelic therapy. Um, it's using cannabis to create this state uh, to heal and support trauma work. So it's creating a container for the person to use cannabis in a in a very safe way where there's um, the imbibing is done in a specific way with like intention and setting and we we create the safe container where you can actually just the person lies on their back with a pillow eye covering and there's music that I'm kind of I'm DJing the whole time so they get to imbibe and then just lay back and go on this journey so I'm there to hold that space while they can go and, and things that come up are they might see enhanced images, they might travel back through time and their memories, and they might feel sensations in their bodies where they're just releasing trauma. And you'll see the, the person shaking or, you know, making a face or, you know, laughing, crying. A lot of stuff is released just through the help of, of cannabis. And it might just be like a couple of puffs. It might be, you know, seven puffs and um, something like that, but it's a very safe way. It's very legal right now in many states, so it's just kind of a, it's kind of the gateway, you know, <laughs> as they say, the gateway. Yeah, it is. We're trying to like talk against it being the gateway drug, but it sounds like maybe it is the gateway. <laughs> yeah, we're just, you know, that has stigma. There's so much stigma from the war on drugs about this so it's still kind of it's it's cutting edge it's kind of on the forefront now and people are going to find more benefits you know they're just going to be more accepting of these benefits but it's incredible what feedback I've been getting so far and um yeah it's just amazing um and it sounds like it's all about intention and if folks want to know more about cannabis go back to my episode with um, Ashley Manta the canisexual to talk more about about that maybe specifically and I think when I think of cannabis or weed, it sort of reminds me of, like, I think of, like, the stoner archetype. You know, this person who's, like, maybe not motivated or being lazy. Like, these are all these stereotype stigmas I think about it. Or, like, someone being dumb. and Or I think of it as something to, like, numb yourself and just be, like, you know, kind of too high. You know, like, I can't tolerate anything. And so it is really this reprogramming, I guess, of seeing it as something that could be a tool and can be done mindfully as opposed to a thing that just like numbs you out. 
Right. Yeah, that whole setting and intention is, is the, the key to this. It's done in such a way that it's it's not your typical experience at Disneyland or something like that, where you're out in the space with so many energies and people. A lot of people have bad experiences the first time with, with psychedelics, and, and this is harm reduction as well. And it's, it's healing trauma from those early experiences as well for many people. Yeah, I think I, I was telling you before we did this interview, but I definitely need to do it to have like a, mm-hmm. not that I ever have to love cannabis, but have a better relationship with it. Because I am imagine most listeners like myself have had a bad edible experience yeah. and it definitely scarred me. And it's a trauma response, you know, when evolutionarily, when we do something that's, you know, makes us feel sick or has this bad experience, then our body is like, oh, I got to stay away from that to protect ourselves. And sometimes then that's, sometimes our body is protecting ourselves from things that it doesn't need to protect us from anymore, but it thinks it's doing the right thing. And so that was my experience with like the, the edible thing. I like called my parents and told them I was going to die. Like it was this whole fucking thing. Uh, (laughs) So sorry. We can work on that together. Totally. Yeah. It was, it, it was in college and uh, as most, I think, things are. And one of the people living in the co-op I was in was, you know, kind of the, the go-to weed seller on campus. And um, everyone was leaving for Christmas break. And so he, he and my friend were like, oh, well, we got to use the rest of our stuff because um, they're going to, you know, we can't leave this here when we go home for Christmas break. So they made these like seven layer bars um, with one layer essentially just being like, you know, THC infused butter. Um, and I knew myself, I was like not a big smoker. And so I'm like, I'm just gonna have a little bit. I knew the rules about it. Like, don't, you know, keep eating until you feel something like have a little bit. I shared this little tiny square with like four people. Um, and it took a couple hours for it to really hit. And that's good information. I think for people to know that it's not just that 45 minutes. It depends on how your body digests, what you've eaten, your metabolism, all that stuff. And, um, oh man. And it came in waves. First, it was like the la- like drooling laughter wave. Then it was like, I can't move. I'm like deflated on the couch. And then I started having these little like twitches, almost these little like mini like muscle spasms. Um, and then my RA thought it would be a good idea to put me in the basement because she said, oh, well, there's a party here. It's quiet down there. The basement had no windows. And it was just this like brick room with like, you know, couches and music and whatever. And I, the walls were coming in. I had to like crawl up the stairs. Luckily, I found my friend and grabbed her and was like, I'm dying. I need help. And then um, she left me alone for just a minute to get me some water. And I called my parents and told them I, I was saying goodbye because I was dying. No. And then I just put the phone down. <laughs> oh my God. So your parents. <laughs> yeah. I mean, luckily my friend ended up picking up the phone because she heard them yelling into it. And she was like, oh, Mr. and Mrs. Heidegger, like, it's okay. You know, she's just really high. <laughs> like, she'll be fine. <laughs> Wow, a good friend. Uh, so you know, that's, yeah. I'm so sorry that happened. <laughs> so that's something one could work through in coming back to cannabis therapy. Definitely, one could work with that, especially because now you'd have agency over it. Like you're in control of it. You wouldn't be in control of you. So yeah, that's, that's the benefit. 
Yeah, and what are some things you've seen people like work on with it? Like what can it help address? So trauma. Uh, so definitely like trauma from an experience with an edible is a common one. Um, it could help with um, shedding skin because there's like a lot of like release. So some people, that journey, they'll feel like they're shaking the entire time, like pulses of energy going through the body, trembling, and I will see them, I'll be seeing them have these, these, these reactions, and as a therapist, I'm there to witness and to deepen that. So mm -hmm. I have to be able to hold space while you shake uncontrollably, and like that's yeah. trauma being released from the body. And what do you say, like if they start kind of getting overloaded or overwhelmed or in a trauma state or freaking out, like how do you... Yeah, what do you do? Yeah, so I, ahead of time, um, create that, I, I let them know that I'll be here the whole time. If they need me, just raise a hand. Um, they can say my name, ask for help, and I'll also check in and I can invite them to, to share if they're having an experience or to breathe and go deeper. Yeah. So it's gentle, gentle guiding. It's not so much like hypnosis, like giving positive suggestions and so active. This is more like being a witness so that you can go on that internal journey that's inside. Mm. And not feel, not feel alone. You're kind of like, feel you're like holding the flashlight. Yeah. I'm sitting there with them the whole time. I'm next to them. I'm sitting there just observing them in, you know, like in a meditative position, just watching. So they have that full, um, you know, person there watching over them. Yeah. Safety. And what about the folks who think that hypnosis, NLP, cannabis, like all the stuff we've talked about, what about folks who think that it's like bullshit, woo-woo, magic? <laughs> yeah, those people usually don't call me. <laughs> Let them find their own tools. <laughs> You're like, that's fine. <laughs> don't come see me. <laughs> I'm not going to convince anyone. I had some people say, oh, you can't hypnotize me, but of course I could. But, you know, I'm not going to, you know. You're not there to convince them. I'm not there to convince them. It's really not, you know, that's not what it's about. I think it's the greatest thing ever, but. <laughs> well, Jordan, thank you so much. Um, is there anything else you want to share with listeners that you want to go over? Cause we have some time. Yeah. I, I just, you had mentioned BDSM meditation journey before, which I really wanted to talk about. Um, yeah. I wanted to make sure people know about it. Um, this, this is a meditation journey. It happens every Wednesday night at seven on Pacific standard time. Um, it was created for the, the kink community, the LGBT community, um, sex worker community, specifically as a, a healing um, meditation, to, like a community. So each week we just go on a guided journey. It's, there's music involved. And it's just a place where you can connect and relax with other people, that's safe space, and just be seen. It's just for this community. So I would love to invite people to check it out. It's done through Zoom right now. So. Um, and it's just an hour and it's by donation. So this was an idea of, um, that we, I had talked about with my partner who's Justine Cross. By yeah. Let's go listen to Justine's episodes. Uh, Mistress Justine, the head bitch in charge is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So she's been on your show a few times and, um, together we were like, we got to do something for this community. And I wanted to use my skills that I already had and, and just really focus on helping this community with, with healing and support. So it's been great. We have a different theme every week and it's what people bring into the room. So I just wanted to mention that it's been really wonderful through this, this time. What a power couple you two are. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane. It's insane. She's the out, you know, extrovert, like out there doing, she does like 30 podcasts a month. And I'm like, I, you know, I do two a year, you know, I'm the introvert. It's, we're just perfect, uh, balanced couple here. 
<laughs> yeah, how do you find that? How do you find that yin and yang balance? Because I know a lot of folks who are attracted to each other because they have differences, but then sometimes those differences can become what struggles or what bothers us about a partner. Like, how do you, how do you find that balance and just accepting these differences? Just a lot of communication. We're we're not afraid of talking about like how we feel and like working on solutions. So I think we we see that in each other and we respect we respect each other and we value like she's good at certain things, I'm good at other things and we we just manage to make it work, but it it's hard work sometimes and you know, we also feel very grateful to have found each other. So you're like she does whatever I tell her because I've been um doing hypnosis and NLP. <laughs> So she thinks she's in charge. Yeah, but really, <laughs> just kidding, Justine. You're the you're the boss. <laughs> okay, well, everybody listening, check out BDSM meditation on Wednesdays at seven Pacific. Um, how else can folks find you, hire you, um, stay informed at what you're doing? Yeah, they can find me on Instagram at um, Jordan Wolin CHT. And I, I'm also on Twitter and Clubhouse, just trying to get into Clubhouse. That's that's been the, the latest platform. Um, also, my website is jordanwolin.com. Pretty easy. Thanks so much for this. And um, thank you again for your support with my Taco Bell um, struggles. Um, you know, it's so funny. I have some clients and when we finish therapy, um, therapists don't often accept like gifts and things, but if it's like something small and you know, there's a whole like layer of like what's allowed ethics. Um, but I had some clients get me, um, two big bottles of fire sauce. (laughs) (laughs) Great. And I honestly teared up. It was so meaningful because I was like, wow, you really know me. They do know you. (laughs) Oh, good times. Okay. So if you want to follow what uh, I'm doing here on the podcast, I'm on Instagram at sluts and scholars on Twitter at sluts scholars. Uh, Please rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. It's really helpful and make sure you check out uh, the discounts that our advertisers are putting out for this episode. It helps keep the podcast going if you support our advertisers. Um, So thank you all so much and talk to you next week.